everyone only has so much capacity to deal with stress, but you can't, you know, all these online things that say, just eliminate stress, just take stress out of your life. And it's like, well, yeah, right. I've got mortgage and kids and, you know, bills to pay and you can't choose your stress. And there are just demands in life that, that raise your stress level. And so, um, it was the video was this idea that every, all those small things, that everybody underestimates the power of, um, have a big impact. They, they allow you to process stress. It's like a release valve. And so it allows you to process a bit of stress from that day or that week, which creates this capacity to deal with the new stresses that are going to come next week. And so, um, yeah, I mean, often you'll, if you do sort of videos and things on, on the basics, um, you'll often you kind of almost frustrate people because they want this complex um, insight from therapy that that is, you know, the, the golden rule that if I just do this, then everything will be okay. And, and when people hear that it's things like routine, exercise, uh, good nutrition, uh, social connection, and they're like, yeah, 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 I do those things. But and actually, they are the first things we let slide if we're not doing so good, right? If you're busy at work, what do you do? You cancel your plans with friends. You don't go to the gym. You stay up late and get up early and all of those things that we all know are not so good. Um, but they are basically our foundation for good mental health. And you take anyone on this earth and you start messing around with those things and they will become vulnerable to becoming unwell physically and mentally. Welcome to Happy Prayer Podcast. This episode is sponsored by... Happy shape. Uh, so, okay, for years, so we've got online courses and we've ran them for years. And a question people kept asking was, will you do a course to help me to lose weight in a healthy way? Because obviously you can use weight on amphetamines or cocaine or loads of different things, but to lose weight in a healthy way is challenging. So we created a course, it's called Happy Shape. It's all about, you can eat as much as you want. It's all you, you're not a medical expert though, Dave. No, oh, great question, Steve. Thanks for that. Good clarification. Now we partnered with Dr. Sue Keneally. She's a GP that specialized in weight management and, and nutrition. And you're not a nutritionist, Dave. No, we've got a dietitian, Rosie Moore. Great question. Jeez, Steve, you're full of these fantastic questions but uh, it's starting in may and it's all about helping people to become happy with their shape and form the lifestyle habits that underpin a happy shape and helping you to lose weight you know and, find and out more stay losing weight. And sustainable sustain like yeah. it's class it's brilliant anyway it's starting in may and we'll tell you more about it as it comes up so this is like an anticipation ad <laughs> okay ad over <laughs> and now for the podcast yay um so guys i was uh kind of something that's been going on for a while now where since we've been traveling a lot that I pointed out to you a few times but I've never really questioned it because I'm mm. like Dave and <laughs> driving it I'm the third wheel I'll just go along with them but um recently in our recent trip to Warsaw I was thinking to myself like why do you guys insist on going to the airport so early? Are you looking for like Ryanair sponsorship or something? Because like, what was it? We were three and a half hours the other day. Whoa. And then my favorite was Warsaw, where the airport was literally modeling as a tin can. And we were like four hours early. Oh, you never know. Can I, can <laughs> Just I, like, in case. I, I don't know. Like, I always think like this, the traveling, like it's almost like it gives space space to reflect for me and at least way like it gives me that space to that space to kind of go where was I what did I do where am I going it's kind of that purgatory like period where it's like what purgatory purgatory where'd you get that from uh, well maybe it's, it's that transition period that space to sit and reflect and prepare yourself to where you're going so I often really enjoy it and I love being there early and I love just kind of like but it's gas because it's so different to everything else you do in life like other than quick plug we do corporate talks and cooking demos you're always on time even early but everything else i'm sorry you're always like, on the edge on the edge you're like we have one minute before something's on you're like oh might nip down to Amy and have a little chat and you're like what <laughs> How? <laughs> but yeah, with when it comes to traveling with planes, you're so so early. Yeah, yeah. He missed a he missed a flight I, one I, time in Warsaw. I was there five hours earlier. I got there five hours earlier. I was doing yoga. Five hours. Like, that's five. nearly like on the day before. <laughs> you know? And like I was there so early, I was wandering around the airport, like outside the premises or the periphery of the premises, just snooping, like. And I was doing yoga in some kind of weird place, and someone came out going, "What the hell? Like in Poland, you don't do that." And I was doing yoga in some weird little kind of place in the corner. Anyway, this I feel like I'm saying some weird stuff. But it's, <laughs> gas, it's like, you know, sometimes you book that like 10 a.m. flight and you're like, grand, like I don't have to get up too early. It's 
It's grand. And then you guys, it's like, oh no, still up a four. Catch at six. Catch <laughs> at six. Well, I think, God, thank God I didn't get the 6 a.m. flight. Oh, you wouldn't have gone to bed. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I find it's just so much easier to be relaxed and know that, like, because there is so many variables with flying. And there certainly has been the last couple of years with all the COVID checks and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's my validation. So that's my refute to it. <laughs> yeah, to maybe it's that you feel more relaxed and that if there is yeah, yeah. drama or hassle, you're just ready You've got two hours. Like, okay, maybe I'll give an example. Okay, maybe here's a validation. I remember in, we were in, te- in New Mexico or we were somewhere, we were somewhere in America anyway, and I went to the wrong airport. Like, can you believe it? I went to the wrong hey. airport. I was getting a flight from like somewhere down in like the Southern States of America back home. This is like five years ago. And I went to the wrong airport. Like I went to the one close by. And because I was five hours early, I was able to get a $250 taxi to the next airport and then travel home. Because I, I figured, because I figured that uh, <laughs> if I, like my flight home would have cost me like two grand or something from missing the flight. So it was cheaper just to I pay the taxi. I just didn't get your shit together. Like. <laughs> Listen, thanks there. We love you too. Although, um, you know, friend Pam, she actually got on a flight in the Caribbean there recently where she got off the plane and they were like, oh, you were on the wrong plane. She's like, well, you let me on. Oh my <laughs> and God. she flew to a completely different place. <laughs> well, that was on the flight home the other the day I said to you like I said oh, yeah, we check. better check with the guy that because it was such a sh- like the whole oh yeah we were on it was some quite plane called Buzz the plane was called Buzz and we got on it and I was like I feel like I'm getting a bus here do you want to just check with the driver <laughs> that we're going to Dublin because I feel like I'm getting on a bus not oh, like a plane so and funny. it was the right one yeah it was yeah, going it was. to Dublin yeah and we made it how many but it was called so good on Buzz it yes, was called thanks. Buzz instead of Ryanair Buzz we're like, Lightyear this does not seem like the right plane but okay yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway okay can we talk about the podcast you can okay Stevie, this week's podcast is with uh, the wonderful Dr. Julie Smith. She's exploded over on social media over the last number of years. She is a doctor of psychology. And over the last number of years, she really focused TikTok, I think was her primary platform, of putting out nuggets of how to deal with day-to-day mental health issues. It's not to deal with issues of trauma, but like, how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with comparison culture? How do you deal with anxiety? What does anxiety feel like? So it's a great, and she does it in a beautiful, engaging manner. And she's exploded. She's recently released a book that's been a number one times, a Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah, she's really cool, full of nuggets. I think you're going to get loads of good stuff out of this. We certainly did. Practical, basic, everyday advice. She's she's really, really good. I think you're really going to get loads of value. And she's relatable. Like she's a mother with three kids and she's yeah. juggling it all. And, you know, hats off to her. She's phenomenal. Yeah. So anyway, without further ado, oh, before we start, I just want to say thanks, Mel, for being here. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we really do. And enjoy the episode. Okay, bye. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy bye. it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And even like I remember growing up um, with our cousin. I remember at Christmas we used to have or the cousins that always come over and cousin Neil had done like a degree in psychology. And I remember sitting there, oh, Neil, like you can understand my mind. Can you read my mind and fix me? You know, there was this kind of idea. And uh, my wife is a clinical psychologist. And I remember having this kind of naive one dimensional perspective on psychology. It's like, oh, you have the instruction manual to manual to how the human mind works. Oh, please tell me. And then living with her. She's phenomenal and she has problems like the rest of us. And I just imagine that must be challenging for you, this social pressure that you know it all and you can't have anxiety. You can't have mental health issues like the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a misconception, isn't it? That that kind of understanding um, what helps means that you're immune to any normal human problems. And and it's a bit like suggesting that, you know, just because you're a surgeon, you'll never need surgery. Like you kind of, you're not immune to any of it. You're still a human being, but you've just got access to some tools that can really help. And, um, and, you know, that, that is a benefit and, and helps me get through difficult times, but certainly in the book, I've tried to really steer away from that idea of, you know, I know these things and when you know them, everything will be sorted and you won't have problems anymore. And I guess I've done that by kind of including things around things that I've faced personally and when I've got it wrong and the consequences of getting it wrong and how I might do things differently now. And just to, I think, cause you know, when you're on social media, there is that real people put their best foot forward because it's a vulnerable place to be if you're, you know, putting yourself out there. And um, so it's understandable that people do that. But then I think the result of that is everyone's looking 
at everybody's best snapshot and thinking that's that's a realistic perspective on their life and then comparing their own you know messy bedroom to someone else's ideal and thinking oh what am I getting wrong and it's just it's not a fair it's not a level playing field is it no yeah totally. no it's hard never never it is um I was going to say, oh, you want to say can I, Yeah, can I go off? Because it, it's just a relevant uh, thing that's just recently happened to us. We, d- we released a podcast last week and we kind of put some comments out on it and we got a, a, a large backlash. And it was like we were in four papers this weekend, national papers, um, you know, questioning what we said. And, you know, it was hard and sensitive. And as all humans, we're all sensitive beings. And I think everyone listening can relate at some stage during their life, taking criticism, dealing with criticism. And particularly online, and, I think. And so online. And it seems to online has just amplified our ability to fling negativity with each other. And I just wonder, what are tools and trips that we can all apply to criticism? Because this weekend, I found it hard. I was away with the family and I'd get my brother Dara, someone would contact me, let me know what was going on. And it's just, it was hard to be in the moment knowing that this, you know, underneath that you were being kind of chiseled away at. And I just wonder, most people can relate to this. And I just wonder, are there tips and tricks or things that you would recommend dealing yeah, with? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a whole new world, isn't it? In terms of you can say stuff and... If you if you believe, I mean, I don't know what the what the episode was or what was said or anything like that. But if you say something and and you wholly believe in what you said and you stand by it, and then there's criticism, I think some in some ways that's easier to deal with. Still not easy, but easier to deal with when when you truly believe in what you said and you can stand by it and and argue that point. Um, than if you if you say something you make a mistake you know if you if you say something and then think oh actually yeah maybe I don't really believe that or I that was probably the wrong way to say it or oh god now it's out there in the world and oh what am I going to do and then everyone is you know in uproar and and there's almost I don't know there's there's not so much room for mistakes that it's you know when you're online and and half the world is watching it's a really sort of vulnerable place to be um, but I guess the the biggest danger is that we're so afraid to say the wrong thing that we don't say anything at all. Um, so, you know, I, I think my journey doing all of this for the last couple of years has really given me a newfound respect for anyone who is brave enough to kind of stand up and and talk about things that, that they believe in or things that they might think are helpful to other people and say that, you know, big and loud because it's not easy and it's not safe um, to do that. And, and it's not, it's not easy to then come up against um, a wall of, I don't know, criticism or negativity or whatever might come, you know, it's always that risk, isn't there? Whatever you say, there's always the risk that someone might take issue with it. And, um, and online, often people will write things that they wouldn't say to your face in, if you were having that conversation, um, they might say it in a bit more of a sort of considerate way. And so, and then you've just got to deal with that, right. It's just sat there and, and, um, uh, you know, on your page or whatever. So, I mean, it's not easy. No, it really isn't. You, you said, you said a word there that I, like you said the word safe and that's a word that I think we often don't you know, give enough credit to, and particularly in terms of mental health, psychology, and every aspect of the human experience, like safety is so central and so important. Yet when I, when you think of current culture, particularly with the amount of technology and social media and engagement and, you know, uh, information coming at us, like safety, could, could you talk about the, the, the importance of safety in terms of mental health and well-being within the context of the current culture? Because I think it doesn't get enough emphasis well, it's some kind of being. I don't know what it is, but well, Jez, I think that's my fire alarm. I'm assuming there's no fire. <laughs> we will carry on as normal. Very relevant to the topic of safety. <laughs> yeah, relevant to the topic hey. of safety. My fire alarm's going off. Um, so I mean, yeah, um it's it's everything, you know, your brain is not set up to to make you happy. It's set up to keep you safe and and stop you from dying, essentially. And so um you are set up to to look for, seek out and approach anything that makes you feel safe and comforted and to steer away from things that make you feel unsafe. And uh, that's a really good thing. You know, people say, oh, my faulty brain because I feel anxious and stuff. Actually, that's your brain working at its best to keep you alive. And um, the fact that our society today is set up in a way that kind of triggers off that feeling 
um, you know, when you're not necessarily in danger and, and triggering it off on a regular basis um, is separate. And, and, you know, your brain's still amazing for, for creating that, um, that threat response that, that keeps you safe. Yeah, there, there was even two things on that topic of safety. Like, number one, I never realized, like I got married for the second time there last year. And I didn't realize how important safety was within an intimate relationship. Like it's only in my relationship with Sabrina that I realized that, oh my God, feeling safe is so important to intimacy. And then recently with another friend, he deals with teams and team building. And he was talking about the single biggest ingredient in terms of high-performing teams is psychological safety. Because when we feel safe, we are much more likely to be creative. We are much more likely to function better. And the same in intimate relationships, when we feel safe, we're going to express ourselves differently. We're going to feel, we're going to show the full gamut of ourselves as opposed to just the kind of, you know, the peripheral angle on it. Yeah. And, and often it's about that safety to, uh, you know, our, our relationship with failure as well, isn't it? And mistakes. And are you allowed to, to make a mistake? And I don't know if that's online, are you allowed to say the wrong thing and then learn from that and change your ways? Or are you allowed to, um, make a mistake in, uh, you know, the organization you work in and then learn from that and move on? Or is it sort of attached to you as a, you know, this failure says something about who you are as a person. Um, so, you know, it, I think our sort of our relationship to to failure has has a lot to do with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. In terms of like process versus like end result, that kind of journey mindset as opposed to the end result. Like we live in a culture nowadays where, you know, Looking Be, for the hack. Looking for you're the looking short for the trip. hack to get the fancy house and the car and the beautiful partner and the abs and whatever. All looking for the quick, the end result. Whereas I think the reality of life is in that journey, in that day to day kind of learning to live with yourself, warts and all, and finding, you know, finding tools within that. And and maybe maybe on that because I'm just making random statements here. It's kind of going. Thanks, thanks, Mill Steve. I really appreciate it. But I, I, like, th this is back to Steve was even saying that earlier. He was kind of saying that. Okay, well, I know on social media, like, if we post a creamy pasta recipe, people love it. It gets loads of views, and like, it's fine. Like, whatever. We've posted so many creamy pasta recipes that we're bored of, of, of posting creamy but pasta. But they're always recipes. so engaged. But they always get so engaged. And I'm just wondering, like, you've been doing your kind of social media for the last number of years, and you've had a phenomenal growth, and you probably realized that there's probably five main issues or a, X number of main issues of that cream, you know what, i think what you're asking is what's the creamy pass pasta version <laughs> of mental health like i was kind of looking at it and going oh is it overwhelm is it comparison anxiety. is it anxiety is it stress like what are the main issues you see time and time again and realize online these are like culturally so relevant to the social media user nowadays yeah um yeah i think probably anxiety is a big one um in terms of uh, but i guess do you know what i think there's such a variety of um problems and complexities around that that um i don't think for me there's one particular subject that always gets really really engaged with and um it's often probably more about how i film it or how i talk about it um that can really change that uh, whether people sort of resonate with it and stuff um because you know there are huge numbers of people who experience low mood or depression and and there are huge numbers of people that get anxious in lots of different scenarios for different reasons um so you know they're they're really broad subjects really so they're not as kind of specific as a cream pasta i guess no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was looking really for juicy. Day, I was looking for like juicy. Oh my god, it's definitely like <laughs> this. You know, imposter syndrome or whatever the heck it is. Or yeah, all of those things, and and it's really those sort of um, those human problems. And actually, do you know what? I try to steer away from in my videos, but also very much in the book. I don't mention any clinical disorders or things that you need to meet some sort of criteria for a diagnosis. Um, and it's just about. Uh, sorry, I'm banging my chair with my ring. Uh, it's just about uh, those very human problems that we all face at some point in life. You know, everyone has those days when they wake up and their mood just isn't as buoyant as they'd like it to be. Or the days when there's so much to do, but you just really don't feel like it. Um, or the days when, you know, you're just really stressed and overwhelmed because there's so much to, um, to do or there's so much on your plate. And, um, you know, all of those kind of really normal issues that can sort of fluctuate throughout our lives. And there are these kind of tools that are taught in therapy to people who either have a diagnosis of something or they don't, 
and and they're really helpful. But I didn't see why those tools should need to be kept a secret in the therapy room and why we can all sort of benefit from them because I benefit from them. And, and, and I see the people that I've worked with have benefited from them. And that's where really where the title came from as well, because all these people were saying to me, why has nobody told me this before? This is not difficult. It's simple stuff. But when I take it seriously and I put it into my life every day, it's making this huge difference. Like I, I'm raring to go now. Thanks very much. You know, it would sort of do me out of a job because these people were finding it so helpful and as a way to manage their own mental health day to day. Amazing. Amazing. And, and what are like, even back to like, so you've read them, you've studied psychology and you've been deep in it for years, you know, within the NHS, within your experience, you know, on social media and everything. And I'm going like, what are things like, you know, I saw you did a really good video where you put like a bucket of water on the table and then you said, okay, like life, there's so much kind of stuff comes at us and kind of ruins our day. And you should, you, you, the analogy of the bucket filling up with water and some days it can be a little trickle and some days it can be like a really high trickle. And then you showed when you did, like when you exercise, it puts a hole and the water can come out. And when you go to bed early, there's another one. And I just wonder like, what are things within your own life as someone that like, you're a mother, you're a, you know, you've got a husband, you've got a career, you written an incredible book you do social media you juggle loads of different things you look great like and I'm going how do you juggle all this and what are things that you do on a daily basis that help reduce the stress in your day yeah so um that video was uh, we, we always call it the stress bucket because it's this idea that everyone only has so much capacity to deal with stress but you can't you know all these online things that say just eliminate stress just take stress out of your life and it's like well yeah right i've got a mortgage and kids and you know bills to pay and you can't choose your stress and there are just demands in life that that raise your stress level and so um it was the video was this idea that every all those small things that everybody underestimates the power of um, have a big impact. They they allow you to process stress. It's like a release valve. And so it allows you to process a bit of stress from that day or that week, which creates this capacity to deal with the new stresses that are going to come next week. And so um yeah, I mean, often you'll if you do sort of videos and things on on the basics, um, you'll often you kind of almost frustrate people because they want this complex um, insight from therapy that that is, you know, the, the golden rule that if I just do this, then everything will be okay. And and when people hear that it's things like routine, exercise, uh, good nutrition, uh, social connection, and they're like, yeah, 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 I do those things. But, and actually they are the first things we let slide if we're not doing so good, right? If you're busy at work, what do you do? You cancel your plans with friends. You don't go to the gym. You stay up late and get up early and all of those things that we all know are not so good. Um, but they are basically our foundation for good mental health. And you take anyone on this earth and you start messing around with those things and they will become vulnerable to becoming unwell physically and mentally. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't underestimate the power of those things in helping you to, to sustain, uh, difficult times and, and, um, face stresses and things like that. So, I mean, for me, you know, I've, you know, learned lots about therapy and all these in-depth theories and ideas, and they all kind of help. But really what I always come back to is if, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, it's usually because I've been staying up late working too much, too many nights in a row. And I'm tired. Um, or I've been, you know, skipping meals because I don't feel like I've got time, or I've eaten rubbish because I'm, you know, traveling up and down to London doing a few things or whatever, and I haven't really stopped to get a decent meal. Um, or, you know, maybe I just haven't seen my friends for a month because I've been so busy with work. And and it is those basic things that can have a huge impact um on my my well-being and and everybody else's. Yeah, like and do you see the kind of basics like you know we'd certainly see it like because ours is lifestyle oh, sorry steve's tapping me he's do you want to say something? no you go for i was just gonna say <laughs> that the, the main things that we like ours is all about healthy lifestyle where it's like you know you've like sleep we live in a society nowadays where most of us aren't getting enough sleep and i think sleep is probably the single biggest thing we found on our own courses and whatever that if people aren't getting enough sleep, they're much more susceptible. And we see it with ourselves. Like, you know, when we don't sleep well, I'm much more like, you know, I can be. I'm tired today. I was hankering for a bit of chocolate and a cup of coffee. I feel twitchy. I feel slightly anxious. You know, it's these little yeah. things. And I, th I thought you described it really well in the video that you were talking about people feeling anxious, that it's sometimes it's not necessarily about life. Maybe it's they drank three cups of coffee because they slept poorly. And that's the accumulation of little things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and so you can kind of wake up in the morning and be struggling with anxiety or low mood. And that could be linked to all sorts of factors. And they could be biological. It could be, you know, you're dehydrated or you've had a disturbed night's sleep or, you know, those sorts of things. And it's not always caused by just those things. Um, but you have to start with the simple things um, because the complex stuff takes time and effort to really delve into. Um, and if the answer is simpler, then we need to kind of work on those first before you get to the next layer. Yeah, mm. brilliant. And um, negativity bias, it's something that humans, as you said, our brains are there to keep us survive and to keep us alive. And I think the, the best example is you put a post on social media and there's 99 good comments and one bad one. And the one that you're left with when you finish with is like that feckin' bad comment. And <laughs> you look at the, the media news and it's largely predominantly negative news because it catches our attentions, it hooks us in. And we're predisposed to have this negativity bias. How best can we deal this? And obviously it's there for survival, but how best for someone that finds themselves being sucked in and being kind of overwhelmed with this negativity? How best do we deal with this? And can I add a PPS to that one? I was going to say <laughs> that I think we live in like, you know, when you look at the news today, there's so much like I, I stopped watching the news 20 years ago because I found it just made made me feel crap. Like, yeah. and the same like social media go on it. And the ones that get the most amount of like, you know, the highest kind of probably front the top of your feed is going to be some kind of drama that happened or some kind of catastrophe that happened somewhere in the world or in someone's life or whatever. And these are stories. I'm just like on the topic of negativity bias and in a culture and a society nowadays that seems to amplify negativity. Like, how do we deal with this? Like, obviously the answer probably comes back to, well, you've got to do the basics kind of things to some degree, you know, mm. And what are the tips do you have? Yeah, I think um, we have to kind of build our awareness of our own biases. So the power of any thought is in how much you buy into it. So if you know you can have that negativity bias, but if you don't recognize it as a bias and you accept each thought as, as it arrives as a fact and a clear reflection of a true reality, then it's going to impact on how you feel. And actually, um, in, in the book, I talk about, um, I don't know if you guys can remember the, the film with Jim Carrey called The Mask. And yeah, he, yeah. so yeah, this guy and he finds this mask and it looks like nothing. It's just a little wooden mask. And and it is when it's just, when he's holding it in his hand, it's just a nothing. But when he holds it up, you know, over his face, it kind of grabs him around the back of the head. It impacts on everything he does, everything he says, how he feels, everything. And, and I kind of think thoughts are a, a similar than, um, it's, it's a similar kind of approach to that, where if you accept a thought as a true fact and you don't question it, you don't step back from it to see it as one possible perspective, then it will impact on how you feel and it will impact on the choices you make and what you do next. Um, the process that we, I'm sorry, that keeps going off. The process we work on in therapy is being able to step back from those thoughts. So it's the idea of taking the mask from the front of your face, holding it at arm's length, and then that kind of takes the power out of it a bit. So you're able to see it for what it is rather than allowing it to control you. So, um, you know, in um, a therapy called uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, they talk about dif thought diffusion and that, that idea of being able to watch your thoughts and observe them. And then you get to see them for what they are and you get to decide then, is this biased? Or if I spend time with this thought, is it going to lead me to where I want to be? Or, you know, if not, then let it go. And if it is, then, you know, spend some time focusing on it. But you then... So you, because you can't control what thoughts come into your head, right? You know, just by me doing that video on negativity bias and, you know, the mental filter, um, it doesn't stop that from happening to anyone, at least it will me, you know, it still, it still happens. But I think what happens, you know, when I, um, you know, do a video and I, I can find myself scanning through the comments and, and I'm scanning past all these lovely positive comments and I'm looking for anyone who could possibly not like it or even feel neutral about it it's just the awareness. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. There's that mental filter. I've got that in my head. And then I can, I've got that choice in that moment because I can see it for what it is. I've got that choice to either go with it. And I know the consequence of that is generally you feel worse, or you can step back from it and choose something different. So I know people talk about awareness and it all feels a bit airy fairy, but it really is the key to, if, if you're not aware of the situation and you don't understand the problem in detail, it's so hard to do anything about it. 
Mm. Yeah, totally. It's nearly yeah, um, yeah. a friend often caught and puts a name on there. Like, oh, there's criticism, Kevin. Critical Kevin. Hello. Welcome to the room, Kevin. You're more yeah. than welcome to come here, but I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> I'm driving. I thought that was a nice analogy and very Great helpful strategy. and useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's loads of things that like I've got going on in my head now, which I want to talk about. Go, Dave, um, go. Okay, Dave. The, the first one is probably like you mentioned there about awareness being the most central thing in terms of like negativity bias and whatnot, but also like you know awareness in terms of realizing these thoughts that show up and necessarily not attaching to them. And I know we've years ago we ended up we got into vipassana meditation, you know, where it was, you were trying to become more equanimous and become, see your, see your thoughts and see your emotions and be aware of them, but realize they are not you. They're like the weather that's, they're like the clouds just going across the sky. And I just wonder what's your experience with meditation and mindfulness. And do you find it as a practice that you recommend or that you practice yourself or that you kind of go, Hey, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not, or yeah, yeah, anything on that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I've got kind of a almost embarrassing story, really. When I was in clinical training and there was a group of, of training psychologists and it was our turn to learn about meditation and how we were going to teach that to people. And, and you'd think that a group of training psychologists would be super open-minded and learn about this stuff and take it on board really easily. And I just remember the room being full of giggles and messing around and people just not engaging with this. And, and I remember thinking at the time, this is excruciating. I can't imagine teaching this to anyone. Like how embarrassing would that be in a session trying to, to get someone on board with this sort of airy fairy idea. And, and I was really cynical about it, but we had to try it out because we were training and that's what we were supposed to do. And, and it was only by try, trying it out that I got to see, ah, this is the impact. This is how it helps. Right. Because I got myself to exam season, really, really stressed out. I used to go for a little jog in the afternoon to kind of break up all the studying. And I thought, you know, I've just had so many things in my head. I thought, okay, I'm just going to try and be mindful while I'm jogging. And I'm just going to try and focus my mind on the sound of my feet on this gravel path. And, and I probably got distracted a thousand times and brought my mind back. But as I got to the end of the run, I just kind of thought, Oh, right. Yes. I get it now. And that was just from one, from one session. And, and it's not that that completely transformed my life or changed my problems. It was that it gave me this, this ability to, you know, that, that run could have been completely focused on worrying and I could have felt stressed out the whole time and, you know, gone through my to-do list. But instead I chose the focus of my attention. And I chose to keep pulling it back to the present. And there's something really powerful about that. And I often talk about it uh, in the book as, you know, your, your attention is like a spotlight and you can't control or, you know, everything, all the different actors that are coming on stage in the theater, all you have is the spotlight. So you choose which ones you give the time and space to, which ones you're going to give the spotlight to, which ones you're going to listen to and which ones you're going to let pass. Um, and some, some thoughts will hang around on stage for longer than you want them to, but you don't have to give them the spotlight. And that's really the idea that you can focus on the present and everything other than the present is a distraction. Um, and so often people get really kind of caught up in this idea that it, it, I can't have negative thoughts, you know, positive vibes only and all that kind of thing. And, and then that sets them up to be self-critical because they're then going, oh, oh no, I'm just being negative. I'm just a negative person. I can't stop having negative thoughts. And you really don't have to stop having negative thoughts. Your brain is set up to give you a, an array of different evaluations of the world, right? And so they're going to arrive. It's you choosing them what you do with them. Yeah, and, such, and where you shine the spotlight. That's yeah. such a good analogy. I often, so, I often say it to my son, like, uh, and this is Theo, I have three kids, but Theo will often, we'll have, Theo's quite philosophical. And, he, and he'll often talk about like, why am I doing mean stuff or things like this? Or why am I not being just good? And I kind of go, I tell that story and I'm probably misquoting it now, but the, the concept, I think was some sort of Native American Indian uh, story, at least the context was, and the young son comes up to the grandfather and says, um, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm fighting, like, you know, like there's two parts of me inside. There's like a, a negative, critical, greedy part that wants to take over the world. And then there's another part that just wants to love and be kind. And the grandfather said, well, there's two wolves inside every one of us. And then the, the, the son goes and, 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 and which one wins? And he says, whichever you feed. And I just thought it was just <laughs> so profound. It was one that kind of really, I often say to my son, I think your analogy of the spotlight is beautiful in that regard. It really yeah, they're all reminds. actors on the stage. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I, think I it's really, beautiful. really like that. I, I wonder, can I talk about um, feeling numb, like the feeling of numbness? Because I guess we grew up, um, me and Dave, in kind of a very male orientated. There was four boys. We went to all boys schools. Emotions were something that 
you didn't actively talk about and emotions were dangerous, especially around a rugby dressing room. You never talked about your feelings. It was all kind of alpha male type stuff. And I'm sure many people listening can relate to the feeling of, you know, not necessarily knowing if they're feeling jealous or not knowing what jealousy feels like in terms of its physical or sensations anxious or, or anxious or stress. Well, probably or most people know what those dead. are. Most people do. But I, I like uh, I'm also it's only in recent years that I've become more aware of that. If we do feel numb, we ha- we're numb to the feeling of happiness, of joy, of of the positive aspect of too. And I just wonder if I could, if you could talk briefly about numbness and how we can move beyond that, because I'm sure many people can relate to that. Yeah, and and actually, um, that can often happen when when people. Um, feel that it's not okay to feel certain things like um you know if it's not okay to feel anger or whatever and, and you so you push it away it's really difficult to selectively push emotion away if you're pushing something away you're likely to push the lot away and that's when people end up coming to therapy and saying i don't feel anything i'm completely numb i don't feel sadness, but I also don't feel any joy. I don't feel any excitement for my life. I'm not even sure if I love my partner anymore. And and there's this complete sort of numbness to all feelings. And and often there's this process of um first of all working out why that is and what, what's going on, but also, you know, gradually opening up to emotional experience again, which can actually be really frightening for people, um, depending on, you know, the kind of experiences they've had growing up. And um so, you know, it's not an easy uh, you know, it's not an easy path to follow. It's not, and it's not as simple as, you know, telling people to just let emotion back in. And, you know, it's just not, it, it, often you're trying to turn around a lifetime of sort of vicious cycles around, um, you know, pushing emotion away, blocking behaviors. And often people are unaware of the feeling because they're so good at blocking it out. So you don't, you don't notice that you feel, I don't know, shamed by someone. You just notice that as soon as you're home, you've got your head in the fridge or um, you've just watched four hours of Netflix to, to numb it and push it out. Or maybe you've been gaming all night because something difficult happened that day or, you know, all these kind of behaviors that that are so good for just pushing things away because they're so engaging. Um, and then and then we end up kind of often working backwards from those those behaviors and working out, okay, what came before that? What came before that? And what happened there? And um, it takes a bit of unraveling, but um, it is hugely, hugely fruitful for people if they start to be able to feel something again. Yeah, and connecting. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like a balance between... Um, because like productivity, we live in a society where productivity is heralded and we need to be super focused to get stuff done, to become high achievers and get our mortgage and get our house and get our perfect life and whatever. And you're kind of going to be that you're kind of- pretty stressed, eh? I, sorry, I was just you know, <laughs> kind of messing there. But like to be that kind of version of yourself, like everyone listening, you have to almost detach yourself from what you're feeling. Because, you know, if you go, oh, I feel a bit crap today. I'm not going to get up and do my work. You're not going to be that person. So like, and I see myself when I get in that kind of like, super productive mode i'm like i'm detached like i'm i'm not sensitive to those around me i'm very focused on what i want so it's kind of like it's finding like there's almost a balance between it all because if you're too sensitive you just get blown blown around a bit too much so it's kind of almost like needing both assets of it like yeah it's so true isn't it it's all about sort of balance and um and you know because even sort of busyness and things like that can be a blocking behavior in itself right and and can lead to that sort of disconnection and the numbness and stuff like that um but at the same time kind of you know if you are um the opposite um and then then that can be just as debilitating so often the, yeah these things are all about sort of finding some balance in between yeah, finding the grey. And it's nearly like mm. the the other aspect of numbness is kind of addiction because as we do pursue various different forms of distraction and addiction is often seen as a poor coping mechanism for fruitfulness or contentment. Uh, and, you know, it can mask itself, as you said, in food, in whatever, whatever, choose your addiction of choice. But ultimately it's a back about feeling those uncomfortable sensations and actually unraveling them in some cases with the need of a therapist or if they're less, you know, vulnerable and raw, actually just being able to sit with them and experience them and name them and understanding the sensations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
you nailed it on the head. <laughs> yeah, because good work, Steve. Thanks. Because like ten <laughs> points, you got a ten but, points. Like yeah, from, thanks. Yes, <laughs> points for Steve. But even I was sitting again with Theo there at the weekend, and I think he flipped about something, and then I flipped at him, and then we went up and we started out, and I was doing the father kind of pointing finger type thing, and then he started talking about how he felt jealous about something. And I was asking like, where do you feel jealousy? And what, what does jealousy feel like? And we had this like really in-depth emotional like conversation with my nine-year-old son. And I was like, you're amazing. I, I'm like, I couldn't have this conversation like a year ago, two years ago. And yet you're nine and you can talk about your feelings in such a fluid way. I'm, I'm envious. I'm in awe. And I'm, where you do know. you feel the envious, Steve? <laughs> Very good. Uh, uh, I was, I was going to say, uh, like, like, okay. And this, this is kind of a general one kind of going as a therapist, like what, what is the most common thing or is there the most common thing? Oh, that, back that, again. Go but down. it is like, I do, like, I'm really curious. I'm going like, you know, what is the most common thing or does it change with the seasons? Like as in, in a post COVID world, does most people, a lot of people are suffering with social anxiety or like, what are the common things or like, is there common things you see with men and women? Is there different, cause there, there must be th trends that you kind of go, well, there's a lot of comparison or a lot of i don't know I, i'm really yeah. curious yeah yeah i, mean, I think really... um to a degree i think um when you look at sort of personality traits and things women tend to be uh more agreeable and not all but but there is a sort of trend in that way that often maybe the work that you're doing with women can sometimes be about um uh, you know assertiveness and meeting your own needs um rather than putting everybody else first and those kind of things um and and sometimes, but not all the time, um, you know, with with men, there can be that kind of, you know, what we're talking about, the numbness and the um, uh, kind of, you know, often something that numbness will be um, or the you know, the staying busy and that kind of thing will be absolutely fine. And it will do someone really well throughout life. But then something will happen like a bereavement and um, it kind of starts to throw everything out the window and it becomes much harder to to block out. Um, and so, yeah, you can have those kind of those differences, I guess, between gender, but but you can also have, you know, the opposites. And and so there's not like a, a set rule where everybody fits down one side and, and you know, men fit down the other or, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess there are those sorts of differences. Is that um, the kind of thing you were looking for? Uh, kind of, kind of, but no, I, I've got a better way of rephrasing uh, <laughs> thanks to Shawnee. And I was going to say like, what's the most, like, so there's so many different gamuts of issues and things, but ultimately we're human beings with needs and desires and a gamut of emotions. And I'm wondering like, what's the most universal kind of solution, which you kind of prescribe, like, because across them all, as you said, there's, there's baseline kind of foundational things. And what's the thing you kind of find yourself coming back to time and time again? Like, obviously your book covers a huge amount of these, but I'm just wondering as a therapist in a day, you know, on your, yeah. in your practice, is it what it might be? Yeah. So, um, we talked earlier about that kind of idea of awareness and, and being, if you're not willing to look at a problem with, real honesty you're actually asking yourself honest questions and then answering them is tougher than people think because um and often people will avoid it because they know what the answer is and they don't they don't want to hear it or they don't want to have to act on that answer and stuff like that so um you know building awareness is actually um not as easy or comfortable as you might think it would be um but on top of that i guess um something else is a sort of an approach that has dominated um, a lot of therapies over the last kind of two decades is this connection between, okay, any moment in your life, you can split it into what you did or you didn't do, what thoughts you had and what your mind was focused on, what you felt. So your emotional experience and where that happened in your body. So your physical sensations went with that or the physical state of your body. And the thing is that those things are like weaves in a basket. So you don't experience them as sing, you know, single entities, you experience the whole basket. But what you do in therapy is you start to tear them apart and you start to look at them individually and then how they influence each other. Because often people will come to therapy and they'll say, right, I, I want to feel different. There's some feelings here that I don't want to have. And there's some missing that I would like back. And you can't wake up in the morning and say, right, today I would like to feel love and joy. And then they just happen, right? There's no button for that. So, On demand emotions. Yeah, wouldn't that be great, right? <laughs> I'd be out of a job, but there we go. Um, so we, well, we can't do that directly. We know that 
these are all weaves in a basket. So we know that your emotional experience is so heavily influenced by your thought processes, your body, and what you do or you don't do, that if you start to change those three and make adjustments, then your emotional experience has to change with it. Um, And, you know, you can kind of break that down and learn from the really tough days when things have gone wrong and you haven't felt like you wanted to feel, but you can also use the days when things went really well, you know, and the days when you felt how you want to feel more of the time, what were you doing differently? What were you focused on? You know, how did you treat people differently and, and all those kind of things. So um, it's that sort of that basic sort of cognitive model that, that really helps people to feel empowered because you start to see, oh, right. I can, I can have an influence on how I feel. I'm not at the mercy of it. I don't have to go to a doctor and and get them to change how I feel. Actually, I can start to play around with this in my day-to-day life. And once people are in the process of doing that, then, you know, change is possible. It's very empowering. And is there an element, sorry for, I know you. No, no, I was just going to say, it's very empowering what you're saying. It seems like there's an element of um, being like an inspector or whatever, or like, you know, I know you're a big fan of um, journaling. Like, and to kind of, jur- to keep a journal and kind of almost like doing the detective work and going, okay, well, Tuesday, I felt fantastic. Like what was going on in my head? Was I saying, everything is awesome? Did I go for a <laughs> run? Did I meditate? Did I meet friends? On Wednesday, geez, I had two cups of coffee and I was wired and I was super anxious and I was stressed and almost like being that detective and kind of plotting it across a week and going, well, there's two days I felt great and three, I felt crap. And what were the common themes here? Yeah. And, and I think you've got it right though, is, is looking at it as a detective. So you have to, and often what we're doing in therapy is ensuring that people don't look at things with um, sort of critical judgment, but with curiosity. So the, the tendency is when you start to break things down and analyze them, that you just become really critical of yourself and, and you assume that those things mean something about who you are as a person and that you're somehow failing at life. Um, that's not helpful. That's that's rumination and that's going to make you feel worse. But when you start to sort of review things and evaluate things with, uh, you know, the mind of a scientist or a detective with that curiosity that says, I'm going to learn something here um, that's going to help me better myself or better my surroundings, then um, you're much more equipped to learn from it. Um, if you get sort of judgmental of yourself, you're likely to feel shameful and then no learning can happen when, when you're, you know, so deep in shame that you can't move forward. Yeah. Mm. And I, I wonder about journaling. Cause it's something that lots of people might go, oh, journaling, that's real airy fairy, or that's real. Oh, I'm not gratitude into that journal. type of thing. A gratitude journal. Well, I got to do that next and send me <laughs> prayers or this type of thing. But like, I've heard you talk about how helpful it can be. I wonder, are there kind of for anyone listening and goes, okay, journaling sounds great. How do I do it? Is it I just sit down and like with a pen and paper and write, or are there kind of good practices to to kind of um, start to bed in or are there kind of ones to avoid? I wonder if we could talk briefly yeah. about journaling. And, and you know what, it's a, it's a great strategy for people who don't particularly like to talk either. I mean, um, I, you know, I'm probably, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it now, but I'm probably one of those people, you know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't like to, I was very introverted. I didn't really like to kind of um, talk openly about things. And so if I felt sort of overly stressed about something or, you know, trying to work something out of my head, I would put it on paper and I would write things down and um, found it helpful then. But that was pre knowing about all the research that's been done on it since and, and the therapeutic value of expressive writing. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't get caught up in how to do it right. And exactly, you know, the questions to ask, ask yourself, um, I would just focus on writing what is, what what you notice, what you've observed and and just allowing that to flow uncensored um, because what that does is it kind of, it's like the Jim Carrey thing, taking the mask off. You, you just get a little bit of a bird's eye view of it and it takes some of the power out of it. It doesn't make all your problems go away. It gives you this new perspective. It's like a map. Oh, right. Okay. I can see what's going on here. And um, that can be hugely powerful, especially for those people who, you know, don't get that benefit from, say, confiding in friends or family or something like that. You know, the non-talkers. Mm. I love that. That's very practical and accessible. But it's also very, like, you know, this, the artist way for anyone who's cre- a creative, the artist way is a, is a program lots of people follow, which is pretty much journaling. It's like you write six pages of journal every morning and just dump it out. And then kind of within that, there'll be a few little nuggets. I know there's more to it than that, mm. but... That's according to a friend. Anyway, can I go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a random thought that just flew and, by and my head. And we know we're coming to the end. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I just wonder, just uh, can you relate to it? Like, say, 
I often question the brain's function is to keep us alive. And yeah. in modern day scientific society, we really focus in on logic. And I look at my children who are very present and very in the moment and very fluid with their emotions and sometimes too fluid, as you can well relate to. <laughs> um, but say we do lots of work on, we work with a gastroenterologist and we talk about how the gut is a second brain. And I just wonder, like modern day society, we seem to really get caught up in our cerebrum, really in our mind and we experience life in our mind. And the more I meditate and, you know, I'm not in any way really good at this, but I find I separate from my thoughts more and I connect more into my gut and my intuition. I just wonder in modern society, do you reckon we possibly have too much emphasis on our mental cerebrum as opposed to connecting in with our gut and our intuition and our body? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? And and while I don't want to kind of generalize for everyone, because actually, you know, mindfulness has made a, a huge rise in, in Western culture and and lots of people are interested in it and, and trying it out. So I guess there is that. But um, but yeah, certainly the way that our kind of society is set up encourages us to not sit still at any point and just focus on being um, it's all do more, be more, earn more, buy more kind of, um, just the, the kind of buzz, you know, when you kind of, I don't know, when you go to a city or something, this is a buzz, everyone's busy. Everyone's got to be somewhere five minutes ago. And, and I guess that kind of thing, um, is, is not, um, is almost the kind of the opposite to what a mindfulness meditation is trying to teach you about, which is, um, being present and being aware and being mindful. And, um, when we're all so busy, um, it sort of pushes us away from that. Mm. Yeah, totally Good agree. Nice one. Well, this has been great, Julie. Yeah, you're, really has. you're wonderful. You're, and, and I look forward to, I, I'm being honest, I haven't read your book, but I hear it's phenomenal. I've heard, you know, why has nobody told me this before? I heard it's brilliant. I, I love the, the format that you've laid it out where it's questions and kind of really, you, you don't have to consume the full book, I think is really accessible. And, you know, I take my hat off to you. Oh, thank you. Regard. Yeah, I want, well, I wanted, I mean, who reads a book cover to cover these days, right? I'm, I'm, I don't. And, and I like to kind of be able to go to a book and think, okay, what is the answer I'm looking for? What is the problem that I want solved with this, you know, picking this book up right now? I want to be able to go to that section, get the information that I want and then put it back down again. Um, so I really wanted to kind of structure it like that so that people can dip in and say, right, I'm dealing with stress. What would a psychologist say about that? you know, or I'm dealing with bereavement, what would a psychologist say about that? And so you can kind of dip in and get the information you need there and then. Brilliant. Well, it's a great chat. Thank you. And like anyone listening, YouTube, you've got tons of really valuable content. TikTok, you've got, that's where you've got a heap of stuff. Instagram, you've got like, you're all over it really. And if, it's, if, it's, you know, really and accessible, useful nuggets for anyone listening. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much. It's so nice to, uh, to meet you guys, even virtually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Likewise. <laughs> well, you met Joe. I think you were at a, at a thing. It was Joe. It was Joe that Joe Wicks and Nikki had met at some event. And then Nikki, yeah. I think, men, I think it was Nikki or yeah, Joe. Yeah, Nikki, I was chatting with Nikki and he said, oh, yeah, should we to Julie? Yeah, yeah, lovely guy. Really nice guy. Yeah, yeah really, really cool. nice. Well, well, thanks for this. Thanks for this, Julie. Really, really appreciate it. We'll really probably nice put it up to meet in the guys. coming weeks. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks so much. I love that. Thought it was brilliant, really accessible, really relatable, and so many great nuggets. I think she's wonderful. Yeah. Hope you got loads out of that. Yeah, I found it really brilliant. Her book sounds cool and she's got really lovely nuggets on social media. So do follow them there um, on Instagram store. Instagram. They're like great reminders. You know, the yeah. way that you could be having a stressful day and you see it and you go, oh yeah, that's, that's yeah. Yes. really good. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that and thanks for your attention and making it this far in our podcast. We're most grateful. We've got loads of other episodes. So do check them out if you enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, big shout out to you. And if you'd like to support our channel, our new book is available to pre-order the Veg Box link down below. Thanks. Thanks a million. Bye. 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 Bye.